This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? episode 14 of your missing the point podcast where we discuss the weird the wonderful and the downright bizarre aspects of life as we have conversations with people from all over the world today i have another bite-sized episode for you as i explore one of australia's most unique and mysterious cryptids the bunyip join me as i break down the indigenous first nations folklore early european encounters and three very real contenders for what i believe could be behind the myth and the legend of the australian bunyip where do i begin it's been said that when you go into search for cryptids, it's like following the trails of the droppings themselves, as there's a distinct whiff of fallacy, ambiguity, and a heavy dose of mythology blurring the lines between reality and ancient memory. Keeping this in mind, it's important to start off where it all began, the Aboriginal dreaming, often referred to as the dream time. A time in our First Nations mythic past, the time of ancestors when the world was newly made and the animals and the birds lived and talked like people. There are many Aboriginal clans that speak of the elusive Bunyip. All across Australia and southeastern Victoria in particular, many Indigenous nations have this archetype of an evil water spirit that preys on unsuspecting people who get too close to the water's edge. It goes by many names within mobs, but its most well-known and common name is that of the Bunyip. The names and the descriptions can vary, but the story is always the same. An evil spirit that is amphibious, almost entirely aquatic, inhabiting lakes, rivers, swamps, lagoons, billabongs, creeks, waterholes, and sometimes particular waterholes in the riverbeds. There are two primary descriptions, that of a creature resembling a seal or a swimming dog with a long neck. Others are depicted as a Nessie-like creature, plesiosaur in nature. The seal dog variety is most often described as being between four and six feet long with a shaggy black brown coat. According to the reports, these bunyips have round heads resembling a bulldog, prominent ears, no tail, and whiskers like a seal or an otter. The long neck variety, between 5 and 15 feet long, is said to have a black or brown fur, large ears, small tusks, a head like a horse or an emu, an elongated mane neck, 3 feet long, and maybe folds of skin, and a horse-like tail. According to First Nations legend, the bunyip can swiftly swim with fins and flippers, has a loud roaring call, feeds on crayfish, and in some legends, is portrayed as a bloodthirsty predator that preys on humans, in particular women and small children. According to Aboriginal folklore, bunyips lay eggs in platypus nests. This brings me to my very first theory on the identity of the bunyip. Let's recount some of those key aspects. One, it's covered in hair. Two, it eats crayfish. And three, it lays eggs in platypus nests. Going off these descriptions, it actually sounds like a platypus in general. But how could Aboriginal people mistake a known creature for something else? 
Well, here it is. Up until 60,000 to 40,000 years ago, Australia was inhabited by a variety of diverse and unique megafauna. Recent fossil discoveries of giant toothed platypus dating back to 2014 discoveries shed new light on the possible identity of our renowned bunyip. The Oberduridon, Theraculus child, is estimated to be three times as long as the modern day platypus and four times its body weight. So we have a real, a very real contender for what the bunyip could be. Is it completely within the realm of possibility that this now extinct species could have been encountered by the First Nations who inhabited Australia 60,000 years ago? And with its passing over time and its story being passed down generation after generation, has it evolved into the bunyip that we now know today? To my mind, this is the biggest possibility. An omnivorous, hairy-toothed water creature that feeds on crayfish, lays eggs like its modern cousins, and the differences being its teeth and its size that could make it capable of attacking and killing small children and women. These potential brutal encounters setting the foundations for the mythology and the stories that we all know in the modern day. And on that note, it's time for us to listen to a dreaming story of the Frogman and the Bunyip. I'd like to pay my respects to the Wemba Wemba Nation of northwestern Victoria and southwestern New South Wales, for they hold the memories, the hopes and the traditions of their peoples. I'd like to thank them for sharing and passing on their incredibly important dreaming stories and histories that I humbly share with you today. The Frogman and the Bunyip. One night, a young man of the frog tribe went down to the billabong to hunt ducks. He covered himself in a disguise of reeds, slipped into the water and sat down so that the water was up to his neck. There he waited silently for an unsuspecting duck to swim toward him. As soon as one was within reach, the man grabbed it by its feet and pulled it under the water and then broke its neck with one twist. There were many ducks that night and soon the man had enough of a good catch to bring home to his wife. Now a bunyip had also been down to the billabong, thinking to do just the same thing, hunting on its own, because he knew the camp of people lay not far away. The bunyip hid itself behind a tree and waited for the young man to walk his direction. Just as the young man had stood up and made a stride toward the bank of the billabong, the bunyip came up from behind him, thinking to grab the man and eat him for his supper. The young man saw the bunyip and shouted in fear and surprise. He ran away just as the bunyip reached out to grab him. Fortunately, the young man was a fast runner. All the bunyip managed to do was to get a handful of reeds that the young man had worn as his hunting blind. As the man scrambled out of the water and up the bank of the billabong, his wife came running up to meet him. What happened, husband? She said. Why did you shout? There's a bunyip in the billabong, he replied. It's very nearly grabbed me. The wife laughed. Don't be silly. There aren't any bunyips anywhere near here. Now give me those lovely fat ducks you caught and let's get home to eat. While the man and his wife stood there talking, the bunyip crept toward them. Just as the young couple turned to head back to their camp, the bunyip's long arms reached up and grabbed the young woman. <laughs> then it fled back into the darkness of the billabong, so quickly the young man could hardly see where it had gone. He tried bravely to fight and follow, but the bunyip left none. Despondent, he went back to his camp and explained to the others, the people of his tribe, what had happened. I'm going back to get my wife said the young man. 
I can't leave her to that horrible bunyip. The other people scoffed at this. How are you going to do that? Likely you'll end up in the same way, the bunyip's supper too. But the young man didn't listen to the others. He was resolved to do what he could to rescue his wife, assuming that she hadn't already been eaten. In the morning, the young man thought about how he might catch a bunyip, or at least find out where it had been hiding. He hit upon an idea of baiting it with a meal of frogs. The young man went to the billabong, caught several frogs and tied them to a stick and stuck it in the middle of the water near the billabong. When the stick with frogs was secure, the man went and hid himself and waited for the bunyip to appear. He waited and waited throughout the whole day, but the bunyip never came. With the sunset, the young man went back home to rest. In the morning, the young man went back to the billabong and found that the stick was still there, but all the frogs he had tied to it were gone. The bunyip must have come over after I'd left and taken the frogs, he thought. Maybe if I try again, it will come back while I'm waiting, and then I'll be able to find my wife. So the young man caught more frogs, tied them to the stick, and hid himself. For the whole day he waited, but the bunyip never appeared. When the sun set, the young man went home to rest, and in the morning he went back to the billabong where he found the frogs had once again disappeared. For many days the young man baited his trap, and for many days he found all the frogs had been taken, but never once saw the bunyip. Finally, there came a day when it rained. Everything was dark and damp and wet. The man had set a trap as usual and hid himself to wait. This time, his patience was rewarded. The bunyip came to the billabong to take his meal of frogs. And who should be accompanying the monster? But the young man's wife. The young man nearly shouted for joy, but he restrained himself and instead stood up from behind his hiding place and threw a spear right at the bunyip. The young man's arm was strong and his aim was true, and the spear went right through the bunyip's middle, but it wasn't yet dead. It grabbed a frog that was swimming by and threw it at the man, hitting him in the eye, temporarily blinding him. This didn't stop the young man taking aim, and carefully as he could, with a blurry vision, he sent his boomerang flying at the bunyip's head. So skillful was his throw that one ended up buried itself in the bunyip's eye. The bunyip howled and turned to run away. <laughs> Come with me, the man shouted. Come with me, I'll take you away from this monster. The young woman held out her arms to her husband and wept. But when the bunyip turned and ran, the woman followed it, weeping all the while. The bunyip had her under a spell so that she had to go with him wherever it went. <laughs> The young man ran after his wife and the bunyip. This time, it was easy to follow them. The bunyip made no effort to hide its trail, and there was no mistaking the woman's footprints in the soft soil of the billabong. Soon the bunyip arrived at a gum tree and slithered up into its branches. The young woman stopped at the foot of the tree and stood there, unable to move, while the bunyip hid in the tree, its one baleful eye glaring out from among the branches. <laughs> Not long afterward, the young man arrived at the tree. He looked at his wife, who was standing frozen at the foot of the tree, and then he looked up into the branches to see the bunyip staring at him with its one terrible eye. The young man stared back at the bunyip, but this was a fatal mistake. The young man found he couldn't look away, and he couldn't move. 
He too had been put under the bunyip spell. For many days, nothing changed. The man and the woman stood at the foot of the tree, yearning to touch one another, but unable to do so or to move. While the bunyip stayed in the branches, staring at them with its one eye. Then one day came a terrible storm. With it, driving rain and howling wind. So strong, the wind, that it toppled the gum tree, killing the bunyip. But the one eye of the bunyip remained exactly where it was. And this is how the moon was made. The death of the bunyip broke the spell on the young couple. They ran into each other's arms and embraced and wept with joy. They were united with the rest of their people and told them the whole tale. And from that day forth, the people of the frog tribe never ate another frog. Instead, they leave them for the bunyip so that it will take the frogs instead of taking them. And there we have it. That is the traditional dreaming story of how the bunyip came to be and also the creation story of the moon. So here we have a First Nations account of the bunyip and its otherworldly abilities. I can't help but notice the similarities with this and other cryptids that seem to abduct women rather than eat or kill them. More often than not, we see this with Bigfoot, Yowies and Sasquatch. Many Christians may even make connections between these beasts and the Nephilim. What was its true intentions for this woman for holding her over several days? We may never know. But it's not just an Aboriginal Australian story that's encountered over many generations. It also brings us to the British settlement and colonisation of Australia. Not only did our First Nations people record these oral histories, but so did our European ancestors, often documenting these in their written journals for us to read today. The very first recorded information from Europeans dates back to 1835 and to one of Australia's most renowned convicts, William Buckley. The English convict William Buckley, born 1780, died 1856, was transported to Port Phillip Penal Colony at the age of 22. He so detested life in the indented head prison camp that in 1803 he escaped to take his chances in the wilderness. Buckley would have almost certainly have perished in the bush had not an Aboriginal tribe found and taken pity on him. Buckley lived with the kindly Aborigines for 32 years, eventually becoming a fully-fledged tribal member. And in 1835, an exploration party led by John Bateman discovered him, after which he was pardoned and eventually given a government pension. In his biography written by John Morgan, Buckley describes his encounter with the lake monster the Aboriginals called the Bunyip, their word for devil or evil spirit. And here is an abstract from that very biography. We lived in peace for many months at the Kiran Moat and then went to the borders of another lake called Muduari, the waters of which were perfectly fresh, abounding in large eels, which we caught in great abundance. In this lake, as well as in most of the other inland areas, and in the deep waters and rivers of this land, live extraordinary amphibious animals, which the natives call bunyip, of which I could never see any part except the back, which appeared to be covered with feathers of a dusty grey colour. It seemed to be at the size of a fully grown calf, and sometimes larger. These creatures only appear when the weather is very calm and the water is smooth. I could never learn from any of the other natives that they had seen either the head nor the tail, so that I could not form a correct idea of its actual size. The extraordinary animals were often seen by the natives who had great dread for them, believing that they had some form of supernatural power over human beings, so as to uh, the occasion of death, sickness, disease, and such like misfortunes. They also had a superstitious notion that the great abundance of eels in some of the lagoons 
are ordered for the bunyip's provision, and they therefore seldom remain long in such neighbourhoods after having seen the creature. When alone, I several times attempted to spear a bunyip, but had the natives seen me do it, I would have caused great displeasure. And again, if I had succeeded in killing or even wounding one, my own life may probably have been paid forfeit. This considering the animal, as I have already said, something supernatural. Now, this is a fantastic account by one of the first white men to actively live with Aboriginal clans and learn their stories. Not only did he describe what these creatures were and how much reverence and fear was put on these creatures, he actively said he saw these creatures with his very own eyes. Now, I find it interesting that Buckley mentioned the encounters with bunyips could end up in bad luck, misfortunes or death. Once recaptured by the British, it was intended that Buckley would actually help broker a peace treaty between the British settlers and the Aboriginal clans in the area, the ones he was adopted into. However, in reality, it resulted in a complete massacre of the people who were taking him in. Now, could this be the misfortune or a curse laid upon the people that he'd been with in some kind of regards to seeing and trying to spear these creatures? Had he unintentionally, just by seeing them, put this tribe at risk? We never know. It could be. It was not only the first-hand accounts of William Buckley that we hear the use of bunyip in the Western white vernacular. We start to see it pop up with real tangible fossils, things that have been found by Western explorers and scientists. One of the first accounts of a bunyips refers to the discovery of the remains of a large unknown freshwater animal by early explorer Hamilton Hume at Lake Bathurst in New South Wales. The animal was not called a bunyip, but described as such by being like a hippopotamus or manatee. However, the indigenous tribes steered clear of these fossils when they were unearthed and gave it a wide berth. Later, fossilised bones were discovered in the Wellington Caves in New South Wales by British anatomist Sir Richard Owen. He described the bones as the remains of some form of prehistoric marsupial, like a diptrodon. In 1845, the Geelong Advertiser announced the discovery of fossils found near Geelong under the headline, Wonderful Discovery of a New Animal. Once again, the word bunyip came up in this article and was never spoken of until later, one year in fact, a skull was found in the Murrumbindji River and placed in the Australian Museum in Sydney. It was labelled as a bunyip skull, but later proven to be a skull of a disfigured calf. This fusing of post-colonial reports with Aboriginal culture stories is perhaps where the bunyip was really born in Australia. But I don't buy it. There's far too much oral history dating back as far as 60,000 years and the many accounts we have of our colonial British settlers seem to give us real indication that there was something lurking in the waterways of Australia. Today, many zoologists believe bunyips were no more than seals which strayed inland through the river systems, or fur elephant seals that were plentiful on the Australian coast. However, how could Aboriginals with very familiar ideas of these creatures in their hunting practices mistake them for being something completely different? This doesn't hold much weight for me. A people who had been in this nation, in this country, for 60,000 years couldn't possibly misdiagnose or misinterpret living known creatures as something greater and far grander. The identity of the bunyip has to be addressed. In the past, it's often been pushed aside with explanations of Aboriginal superstition and fear of the unknown. However, I feel this is very ignorant. European settlers who also observed the bunyip were regarded as obviously some kind of ilk or the downtrodden, the uneducated who don't know what they were seeing in this brand new land. Consequently, the bunyip has turned into a children's fairy tale character. Perhaps more than likely, it was a remarkable remnant of Australia's megafauna. 
a solitary aquatic herbivore on the edge of extinction, surrounded on all sides by the predatory humans with the arrival of Europeans and their cattle competing for the foraging land of this massive habitat destruction and widespread wetland drainage. You have to take into account Aboriginal hunting practices. Up until 10,000 years ago, Australia still contained megafauna. There's contentious issues of whether this was some kind of climate change that drove them to extinction or whether it was Indigenous hunting practices. Either way, whether it was Europeans or Aboriginal Australians, humanities had a very real impact on the native wildlife of Australia. Unfortunately, I think maybe this is a two-pronged approach. In my theory, the Indigenous Australians arrived in this nation 60,000 years ago and came across a variety of unknown creatures. Over time, they dwindled their numbers down, and perhaps it wasn't until the British arrived that they put the nail in the coffin of the bunyip and many other creatures that we know in Australian cryptid mythology. But you have to ask yourself, was this something supernatural? Was it something as simple as an overly-sized platypus? Or could it be something else? My mind often goes to places of evolution. We know that the ancestors of the whale once lived on land. Essentially, they were water-like wolf. This type of creature also fits the bill for what our bunyip could be, a predatory creature covered in fur that lives in swamps, waterways, and billabongs. This is another real contender for what it could be. But how could it live for so many millions of years without being disturbed? Well, that's where we have to think about Australia. Australia hasn't been inhabited large scale until the British arrived. Sure, our First Nations people managed to make their way around this great land, but they didn't take away or strip things like the European settlers did. In some ways, they probably lived in harmony with these creatures, only clashing with them when they came face to face. So that's it. That's my story of the bunyip and what it could be. Now, I said I had three real contenders for what it could be, one being the platypus, second being a an ancient ancestor of the whale. The third has to be a re- very real contender. What if these creatures really are supernatural? What if they are a part of the Aboriginal dreaming and they exist in this land? Could it be that through the decimation of Aboriginals' peoples and the loss of their language, that these creatures no longer exist in the memory of people? And by talking about it today, do we give them new life and bring them into the ether? Are they making their way back into this world through these very conversations? We'll never know unless we see one. So next time you're down by the billabong or at the waterway going for a fish, dipping your toes in, be very, very careful. Hey, everybody, it's closing time. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. 